My name is Kevin Bethune, founder of Dreams Design and Life and author of Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. And this is Tech Rep Queen. Royal Court, it's time. Let the gem dropping begin. Energy, vibes, inspiration. I'm Renee Reed, and this is Tech Rap Queen. Welcome back to another amazing edition of Tech Rap Queen. Of course, it is I, your queen, the Renee, with another incredible episode. I'm excited to talk about a new book, a much needed book, just judging by the title alone. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Please remember to like, subscribe, tune in to Tech Rap Queen across all platforms, Facebook page, YouTube channel, LinkedIn page, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Please go ahead and be a part of the conversation and the Royal Court. Please welcome Chief Creative Officer of Dreams Design Life and now author of the upcoming book, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. Kevin Bethune, my friend, welcome to Tech Rap Queen. Thank you, Renee. Pre- really appreciate you having me. Uh, I just appreciate you being in this space and sharing your story and all the good things and the gems I know that you're going to drop. Let's start off with what inspires Kevin or who inspires Kevin as well? Yeah, I mean, a number, a number of things. Uh, I think community greatly inspires me and just being able to follow uh, folks I look up to. I'm thinking of uh, folks like Dory Tunstall up in OCAD. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Kat Holmes, uh, a fellow author, uh, a very incredible design leader in her own right. And then polymaths like John Maida, who uh, thankfully has become a mentor to me. And who also wrote the foreword of your book. Is that correct? Indeed. A huge blessing to have his stamp on the book. I mean, we will get into that. And you mentioned Kat Holmes, who also wrote Mix Match. Yeah. Um, look at that. Yes. Come on. <laughs> always, always have those books within reach. Cannot wait to have yours within reach as well. Um, again, we're going to get all into all the book stuff in a minute. Let's have you take us on a journey on your journey into design. You've had some career pivots like many of us have. And so how do you find your way to this amazing industry and, and craft. Oh, I'm happy to share. I, I hate to be cliche, but I'll go back to the youth. I, I always had a creative inclination growing up. Uh, parents are always celebrating that. Uh, but any notion of art and design professionally felt like a thousand miles away. It just wasn't something that was celebrated. Okay. And as much as my family was sacrificing to, you know, hopefully and barely send their kids to college. I mean, that was a huge undertaking of itself. Um, I did. I just wasn't in the purview as a professional step after college. Like once we would go through the miracle of even making it to college. And so I, I think where, where I was growing up at the time, down river Detroit area, part of automotive industry, engineering and business were the two more pragmatic paths. And, and because of my love of drawing, I, I guess engineering made more pragmatic sense. So that's, that's where I started my career. I was a mechanical engineer. I worked in the space of nuclear power generation, if you could believe that. 
Um, if we were in person, I promise I would be safe enough to stand next to. I'm not glowing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that one more time. Nuclear. Nuclear power. Yeah. Homer Simpson's type stuff, you know. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I spent, I spent the, the first five years of my career crawling around nuclear power plants the world over. Um, wow. Cut my teeth on what it meant to make product in that space. And uh, we worked in very militaristic conditions. Mm. Um, learned what it meant to work with high-performing teams to actually build stuff and deliver on time, hopefully in a safe manner that would help sustain the industry. So mechanical engineering, still design is not something that's top of mind, right? So where do you go from there? So through that work, a natural curiosity for business uh, crept in because I, I didn't have any business courses really uh, in undergrad. And, but I was wondering to have more license as a technology professional, I need to understand the language of business, at least to understand how projects and products were sold, working with certain utilities the commercial nature of things. I just lacked that acumen, but I wanted at least more license to understand how I could garner some influence yeah. using my technical background, but also adding that business layer. And, um, that, that led to pursuing ultimately, a, um, an MBA to add that business layer. And then, you know, I had two years in, in graduate study to take a fresh look at my career. And I think those old heartstrings from my youth or creativity started itching. And instead of going back to another engineering organization with an MBA, I said, you know what? I want to work for an organization that has creative faculties on top of the strategy and on top of the technology. And let me look at those companies and see if I could, you know, find a way in. Eventually, you end up at Nike, you know, just <laughs> a small company doing, you know, a little bit of design here and there. Yeah, uh, just very fortunate. Uh, to have had that as my next step. I, I, so I graduate, I, I join the business planning function, uh, in sort of the corporate planning group of, of Nike supporting, uh, the senior executives upstairs in the C-suite, uh, with a lot of the financial and operational roll-ups of how the company was doing. It was filtering through my group. Um, and it was a great environment to just really lock in the language of business and, and how we dealt with wall street, how we dealt with investor relations matters, how we supported the senior executives and how they talked to Wall Street, if that was the, the MO of the job. And it really anchored the, the, the business knowledge I just garnered. Um, but at the same time, the product person from within wanted to figure out where, where was the product, where was the cool innovation happening across Nike? And thus the desire to just start talking to people, meeting people and copy chats eventually turned into stretch assignments, stretch assignments turned into opportunities to join the product organization. And once inside the product organization, after a couple of years, I, I saw design for the first time formally working next to engineering, working next to product and business planning. And that just lit my curiosity of fire. Let's talk about stretch assignments. I know so many people are, you know, looking for their next step in their career. Yeah. You know, in a, in a copy chat, when you're trying to meet folks, perhaps in a department that you might want to maybe work for one day. Um, it's really tough to get to know a person in that 10 minute conversation and they could just sort of me mentally move on and they might see your title and say, oh, it's cool that we met, had coffee together, but you're a business guy. You just, you're just a numbers person. <laughs> nice chatting. Bye. Right. But, but I would say one out of every, one out of every 10 of those conversations there, there, I would feel a, a a door slightly opening 
opening a jar. And there was a moment to say, ah, actually, would you mind if I, you know, play the numbers role for your team where you don't have perhaps a, an NBA person in your team that can help rationalize the, the product work that you're doing? Let me, let me see what I can do to be helpful and I'll do it for free because I want to learn about your team and your organization and it gives you a chance to see what I can do and let's just try it. One anecdote I share in the book was the one person that gave me my real first shot uh, to sort of have that stretch assignment opportunity was a man by the name of Albert Shum, who's now the CVP of design at Microsoft. But at the time he was at Nike and he sort of sat in a small group um, and he was like one of the very few hybrid business design sort of thinkers in the company. And he was like, you know, yeah, yeah, come, yeah, come on board. Let's, let's do some work together. And at first I was getting a little bit of resistance from my planning group, you know, allowing me to kind of go do this. Mm -hmm. But Albert was like, Kevin, like your lunch hour is yours. Your evenings and weekends are yours. Why don't you just come work out your brain with us and let's shape some things together. And you don't have to wave the flag of business planning when you're over here. Who cares? Like just your lunch hour is yours. What were some of the projects you eventually start working on in the design realm at Nike? The next big script assignment that I think really changed my life. And that was meeting uh, another gentleman that I'm sure is a hero to our community is uh, Dwayne Edwards. At the time, Dwayne, yeah. now, now the founder of Pencil yeah. or Design Academy, now Lewis College. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, Dwayne was the footwear design director for the Jordan brand. And if it's funny, the funny thing was the, the day job that I had, uh, was involved with like arming the creative teams with advanced digital creation tools to augment the physical making process. And I lobbied to get Jordan brand, some computers, some of that advanced equipment. And, uh, you know, just talking with stakeholders, checking in with Dwayne and his, uh, peers of leadership to figure out what the needs were. And we succeeded in getting them the equipment that they were asking for. And at the same time, I got, I got to know Dwayne through that interaction. And he was like, oh, I see you're doing this raw creative stuff for hobby. I have a few briefs without a home. Why don't you come flex your creative energy with us? I'll mentor you through, you know, these briefs. We'll see what we can make together. And then we'll see where that takes you. And sure enough, I, I would meet with Dwayne at roughly like six in the morning. We would commiserate on what he needed done. We would go do our day jobs. And then at night I would work on his assignment till the wee hours of the night and come back in the next morning. And we worked that way for a year. And through the process, he allowed me to design two, uh, footwear models that were quite successful for the Jordan brand that year. And that just, it blew my mind having that opportunity. I credit Dwayne for giving me a shot mm. when you know, 99 out of a hundred people would not see that opportunity, would not want to take that risk, mm -hmm. but, but he took the risk just seeing the, the uniqueness of my path and that I had at least some raw potential that he could work with. He, he took that chance on me, which I'll never forget. Um, at the same time, he also expected discipline for me, consistency for me, he, and he held me accountable to certain things and when I wasn't hitting. He was quick to provide constructive feedback. Love that. But just leaning into the opportunity, both of us, we got so much out of it. And, you know, we're friends We're uh, he's still a mentor, but very much, uh, deep. We have a deep friendship to this day. Anything either of us need from each other, we're, we're there for each other. And I'm just so thankful that a, a relationship of, um, 
commitment has been established from that one moment together. Did you ever get to work with Tinker? I, I've only sat down with Tinker twice in my, my Nike tenure, but uh, lovely guy, lovely guy. I mean, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> I want to go back. There's a theme very thematic of having the support of your parents, having the support of like Dwayne. Shout out to Dwayne, by the way. There's something that support activates. Mm. That is so important that I think sometimes people miss along their journeys and just hearing you talk about your journey and just hearing like these moments of this was supported. Someone gave me a chance. Someone said, yes, someone allowed me. Can you just touch on why that is so important? No, you're, you're, you're so right. I, when I reflect on the journey there, there have been a handful of folks uh, that I've been blessed, super blessed and fortunate to cross paths with that held up a mirror in a very objective way also held me accountable, right, to, in an objective way. But they helped me understand that there's a bigger vision, a bigger idea, and that there's strings attached to the idea. Like, if I want to transform myself into this, okay, they made me aware of the commitments, the, the work ethic, the discipline that I would need to master to be able to achieve that, not only for others to see, but more importantly for myself to believe that I can walk forward in that with confidence and credibility. Those, those mentors have been pivotal to say, Here's what you could really do. You're thinking here, but here's what you could really do. But just know the commitments that are required. Love it. Also don't want to miss the opportunity to say, I love the fact that, and I'm sure he's done it for other people, but Dwayne just reached back and helped the brother up into a position and said, come on, let me show you mm -hmm. some things. So I love that. Leave the gate open, help someone reach back, something. So I love that that's uh, part of your journey as well. So you go through Nike and then kind of fast forward a little bit. When do you decide that you want to create and have your own uh, strategic consultancy firm? Uh, when does that come about? So fast forward, I think those strict assignments did lead to a, a, a heavy fork in the road. Uh, it, it got to a point where, you know, when it came time to interviewing for jobs in design, um, I had to be honest with myself that I didn't have like the, the deep portfolio that others who have started in design may have had. I had a, you know, a few sheet projects, a few innovation projects. So I went back to school. I actually went back to, for more advanced education to really solidify the creative foundation. Um, and as I was leaving another two years of academia, I needed a job. Like stepping out of the workforce again for more grad school was hugely risky, right? Uh, for my family at, at this time, my son was born. So it was, it was a lot going on at that time in my life. Um, but what was funny is that serendipitously, I met a small group of business partners in the Los Angeles area, helping large organizations with innovation work or, you know, launching new digital startups. And it was an environment where, um, upon meeting them, they, they weren't saying no, like what, what, this is your role only play this way. They were just like, what can you do? And it was one of those atmospheres where we. We started working together in a very unique multidisciplinary fashion. We, we drew the attention of some very big players in the space of management consulting and private equity and VC. And ultimately, um, the Boston consulting group invested in our team and really invested capital and more people into us. We grew, we were like one of the fastest growth engines inside of BCG over the next handful of years. Um, and we, we had a rare runway to do things differently. Many times when I think of multidisciplinary collaboration, it's usually the exception for most organizations, not the rule. 
we, we purposely wired ourselves to be the inverse. We're, we're going to cook actually new solutions in a human centric way. We're going to build businesses. We're not just going to con consult over PowerPoint slides. Um, and while, while that runway was rare and unique, you know, I'm super thankful to BCG for giving us that runway to do that in a very novel way. I found myself questioning, you know, where do I want to spend more of my calories? Like a lot, a lot of big enterprises are, are super focused on digitization for I'm sure all the right reasons. But, uh, for me as a creative multidisciplinary creative, I, I saw wanting to number one, focus on truly human centric problems. Like how are we going to foster human connection, uphold human uh, connectedness, uh, all, all things that make us human. Like let's work on those problems and opportunities. And then secondly, because my career had been a mixture of physical and digital in terms of creation, how do we weave these elements together and focus on holistic solutions? And so, um, from friends reaching out, asking for my unique sense of help outside of my BCG day job, I was able to help my friends with some startups here and there, but it, it, it sort of taught me similar to the stretch assignments that there was evidence to be had and that this evidence could lead up to starting my own business one day. And so. By 2018, I built up the courage to actually do it. Had you had a entrepreneurial spirit in you looking back? I think there was sort of an entrepreneur volition that had always been there. But again, my career had been mostly large companies like Nike and DCG. But this was my first time to say, you know what? It's, it's time to try this once and for all. And so the name Dreams of Design and Life. Dreams Design Life. I love the fact that dreams is first. Talk to me about why dreams is first in that list. You know, I think whether we think of our path as individuals or hopefully we connect ourselves to a bigger purpose, I think we all want to have a hand or some license to shape a better future for ourselves, our family, our community, our society. Um, but there's a future orientation in dreaming that. I wanted to make sure that any efforts I put into anything, always look into the North star of what could be. And then on the other end of the brand name, it's sort of life. And it's also being sort of pragmatic and cognizant that there's real life hardships, challenges, barriers, obstacles, but design, at least in my path. And I talk about this a lot in the book is it, it's, it's definitely been sort of the tip of the spear that's emerged and it, it's changed, it changed my life and through the work. It's also, um, I've also seen it transform organizations in the process. Mm. Are there particular projects that you focus on? Yeah. What are your projects that you work on there? So, you know, the client partner mix is half startups to usually innovation groups within very large organizations, some of which I worked for in the past. <laughs> and uh, the nature of the work is, uh, number one, we're working on truly human-centric problems, opportunities that are holistic across physical, digital services. Uh, and then secondly, usually they tend to be Internet of Things driven because of the physical, digital nature of uh, how things could come together. How has your engineering background? Hmm shown up, help you in the work that you're doing? You know, um, the engineering experience helped me to appreciate the art of what is possible leveraging technology to, to not immediately just feel satisfied with the status quo of things, 
to say, oh, there's actually things over the horizon that we could use that are being developed. So having an eye, a better eye to spot those emerging trends, emerging technologies that can inspire new realities that we could design within, mm. that, that's heavily inspired from my engineering experience for sure. So the engineering experience gave me an appreciation for the art of what's possible, leveraging technology. I don't think we give, well, at least in the creative world sometimes, I don't think we give engineers enough credit a lot of times in that. We, we sure don't. I mean, they, they, in many ways, spark those opportunities based on their research, based on their prototyping, but they also have to hedge their bets to ensure that they're not going to have to execute a half-baked idea that comes at them, you know? I've worked with some amazing engineers and I've seen what they can do and bringing it all together. But as a collective, I don't think I've really given the discipline mm. enough credit in that, in that being able to see the art of the possibilities. Amen. Let's shift gears. The time has come. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about your much anticipated book. Uh, that is coming out, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. Again, the title alone, Kevin, I was like, uh, all of it, <laughs> all of it. Yes. So let's, let's get into it. What is it about? Who is it for? You have the floor, sir. No, I really, I really appreciate that. I definitely have to give credit to my publishing team at the MIT press, this could have easily been a, an academic book filled with certain frameworks battle tested by, you know, an, an, a variety of case studies to validate certain frameworks and, and whatnot. But I think, uh, the publishing team, MIT press and, and myself as a first time author, we kept an open mind based on the early iterations of the manuscript. And we saw opportunities to lean deeper into the personal polymath journey that I've taken. And especially as a black man, navigating some of those large organizations, large corporations, and some of the trials and tribulations that I faced, as well as some of the opportunities of uh, serendipitous connection and privileges that I was afforded to try some things. Um, but what I, what I wanted to share in the book is sort of that, that storyline and the lessons and epiphanies that emerged through those multidisciplinary leaps. And with, with finding design as sort of the last third of that trifecta, uh, design definitely had, had changed my life in, in many surprising ways. And I think it also just required being fully present in the moments where I had a, a, a door that was ajar to sort of swing open and push through and, and do some things that perhaps individuals that I was in the room with didn't expect from a designer or didn't expect from someone like me, but being able to do those things. I saw myself getting transformed through those opportunities and then through those opportunities and through the work that I've had the privilege of being a part of to watch organizations being transformed by design in the same manner was, was quite exciting, but at the same time, still not easy. And that for every step forward, there was a need to educate 10 times to be able to take a step forward. And over time, you know, it becomes like educating five times and then one time to have the confidence and credibility of the organization to trust design, to do certain things. So all these things, uh, sort of wired together in a, in a narrative that I thought would help individuals as they think about their career path, but also organizations as they think about how to transfer themselves to be more relevant to the stakeholders, they, they profess to want to serve. 
Um, and then I would say the last thing about the book is that diversity ends up being a very important undercurrent or thread through every chapter of, of the book, because ultimately the next generation of design studio or innovation studio better, at least at a very minimum, be representative of the beautiful mosaic that is the world. And unfortunately, when I look into many of those organizations, it's not the case. It's abysmally in the certain demographics of folks. And I want to shine a light on that, lend voice to that. And again, that's another reason why I thank you for having me on this podcast is because uh, in more of our voices that haven't necessarily been amplified, this book provides a platform for us to get these voices out. First of all, huge congratulations. Thank you. MIT Press, first book out. Not like a little small mom and pop, you know, shop. Not, not that there's anything wrong with it. Not yep. that there's yep. anything wrong with that. Shout out to my self-publishers, all that good stuff. But my goodness, to come out the gate with a book published and supported by MIT Press. All the props there. Thank you. Um, how much of this book encompasses your experiences, what you've seen through business? How much of the book is Kevin? You know, if you were to ask me when I landed the contract with MIT uh, Press, I, I, I might have said you might get 20% of Kevin, 80% of frameworks and case studies, a, a very much an academic exercise, very much proving okay. theory around mm -hmm. design. But again, uh, when I've submitted the final manuscript, I have to be honest, I, we I wept when I turned that last thing in, when I had my final chance to submit it, because it ended up being 80% Kevin, 20% of perspectives and I would say loose frameworks that someone could easily customize for their individual career or for their organization. There's some loose rubrics that you can make your own. Okay. That was the final spirit of what we submitted. And you, you do get a lot of Kevin, I think, uh, compared to, you know, past talks that I may have given on behalf of XYZ company, like this, this book for the first time, it finally is my voice, you know, pure and unfiltered. Did someone approach you and say, Hey, Kevin, you should write a book or is it something that you've wanted to do for some time? Like why this book, this topic at this time in your career? Uh, I, I think probably I started mulling it when I was within the BCG ecosystem as part of our digital ventures platform. And, um, you know, we, we were thrusting design into spaces that hadn't necessarily understood the power of design, but thanks to BCG, we were in the C-suite and in many of your top global enterprises the world over, but being able to showcase what was possible, getting up from an executive chair around the conference table and heading over to the whiteboard to sketch some things and show the, the executives like what we could do for their business using design as a lens. Um, but again, it wasn't easy to broker those things to get, to garner that evidence, to be, a, to have the permission to kind of squeak ourselves into the conversation and show what design could do. Um, and I think thanks to BCG also, they, they very much drive a culture of eminence. Like the consultants are always sharing what they're learning on certain cases by writing articles or giving talks to conferences. So there was something to that notion of writing in that culture that stuck with me. And because I had so many cycles of having to educate, to do anything, to show people the way it was like, well, you know, I want, I, I want this to be easier for myself as a business owner. So let's, let's give some, you know, customizable toolkits, some perspective for people. 
by writing a book. So good. I've actually been really surprised, a um, little sidebar, really surprised about a lot of the big consulting firms, their design arm, and how they've been doing that, implementing design thinking and all these things. And I was like, the consult? Wait, what? Yep, yep. But it just makes sense because they can couple it with their strategic uh, wheelhouse and things like that. Uh, it just, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, you know, thanks to digital, you can think digital for that, I think, in that um, it's one thing to go on a, a, a strategy journey for a number of months and then hand those ideas over to a design firm for another set of months and then an implementation firm, let's call it that, for you know months, if not years, to develop anything, even a prototype. Like right. companies can't afford to wait that long for a waterfall-driven process. And every every partner that had the luxury of whispering in the ear of the CEO, they they better be an integrated partner to be able to build what they're rec recommending. That's right. So that's, that's where right. we are now. The book comes out March eighth. Correct. But people can pre-order now. Absolutely. Okay. Where can they pre-order the book? You can find it on all your favorite uh, book bookshops and marketplaces, thanks to the power of MIT Press's uh, partnership with Penguin Random House. Um, but you can also go to Kevin Bethune-reimaginingdesign.com, and that's where you'll see my author page for the website. And it gives you all kinds of pre-order options, whether you like Amazon or your local bookstore, there's a, there's a channel for you. And we'll have all of this in the show notes as well, Royal Court. Don't you worry, get a copy of this book. Um, March 8th, is there any significance in that date for you? Oh, not that really. Actually, the first date that we were slating for was February 22nd, 2022. Ah! Come on, two, 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 two. Yes. We were, but, but with all the supply chain issues affecting the publishing space, it's kind of moving around a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I always like to ask just to see, like, <laughs> that would be something I would do. Like, it's going to be on this date. It's got to drop. It's a full moon in my sign. That's why we have to drop it on this date. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what are you most excited about and this release of this book? What are you hoping is going to happen? It's, it's a good question. And I think your question ties to what you mentioned earlier, and I didn't quite answer it yet. It's who's this book for? Right. By the title, you might think it's just for the designer. But honestly, this speaks to non-designers and designers alike, non-designers that could run adjacent to design, and maybe they've had some exposure to design thinking and, and whatnot. Uh, this book is also to mid-career professionals coming from business, engineering, or, or design that might have curiosities for other disciplines that run adjacent. And maybe they want to try some experiences outside of their lane. Um, this is also for students when they're thinking about like, how are my skills going to be used out there in the workforce? This, this can give you some tips to navigate. And I also write this book for anyone that's felt like the other. I can speak for my experience as a black man navigating corporate America and that Sometimes the experiences aren't pleasant. There's a lot of resistance obstacles that perhaps other groups of people don't have to face. So I just want to shine a light on that 
and I'm careful to only speak about my experiences because I don't want to assume about someone else's. Um, but if, if anyone has ever felt like the other, I hope this book inspires those of us to just believe that a lot is still possible for our lives, despite what society might say to us. The art of the possibilities. Amen. As someone who I think I have a book in me, I don't know what it is. I just celebrate you in this huge accomplishment. What do you want to see in design? I would love to see more career path flexibility for designers. Um, if I think of one of your past guests, uh, Ian from Instagram, now over in Japan, he's leading a whole territory, having come from a chief design responsibility uh, in Silicon Valley. Um, very inspiring to see someone like Ian take that helm in an end-to-end capacity across all disciplines. Really cool. I find him very inspiring, by the way. Um, but then also, I would love design to not just only think of, you know what, becoming a, a product manager, not that there's anything wrong with PM, PMing, but to think project management of a given product task is the only sort of career path up for a designer. Uh, I would love to see like principal roles of design specialists that are celebrated for their expertise in design, whether it's design research, industrial design, UX, UI, whatever, um, just creating more flexibility for general management opportunities, leadership opportunities, project and product opportunities, but also, hey, it's safe to be an expert in design and to be rewarded for that too. Yeah, because I do know that sometimes the industry, the career ladder can pigeonhole people into thinking, I have mm -hmm. to go into this leadership model and do this thing over there. But if you can stick to the craft and your expertise um, and grow in that space, why not? And, and we need it. We need that expertise more than ever. I, I would love for design as a field. And I also include innovation studios in this. I would love for design and innovation to lose the ivory tower complex and to not gatekeep for very subjective reasons. Come on and speak on it, sir. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that isn't productive. There's, there's been organizations that as, again, as a black male, I can speak from my lived experience that wouldn't even crack open my portfolio or even let me pass the foyer to talk about like that first interview or anything like just very insulting practices around like who, who they're comfortable including versus who they don't see. I mean, I've been told many times, I, I don't see design for you. I don't, I don't see it. And no one's being honest about what the success criteria is. So if you claim to be a world-class, anything, not now my expectation, especially, you know, having been in leadership and having courted certain organizations as an entrepreneur, as a co-founder, as an investor. Like now I'm looking at you, like if you don't, if you don't have a team makeup that mirrors the world, and if you're not honest with people within your organization in terms of what the bar of success is concretely and let people know their, their laterals and promotional like steps and what, what that involves and have transparency around salary bands and what success concretely looks like. If you're not honest, then you're not one class, you are a subclass. You're not doing anything of relevance to the people that have needs out there in the marketplace. If you're not honest, then you're not world class. You are a subclass. You're not doing anything of relevance 
to the people that have needs out there in the marketplace. Gem drop. If your organization does not look like the mosaic of the world. What are you doing? Best advice that you have received in your career. Um, you know, I had another pivotal mentor, still very much a mentor to this day, an encourager advocate. Uh, another black author by the name of Kevin Carroll. He wrote Rules of the Red Rubber Bowl. Met, met, I met Kevin through the Nike network. Uh, and we, we first had our first meeting when he was a few years outside of Nike with, with a lot of success around his first books. Um, but sitting down with Kevin, he basically said, you know what, the curiosity is cool, what you're doing, what you're experimenting with, keep doing that. Um, but you are going to reach a point where you really have to make a commitment. If you really want the evidence trail of what you're garnering through these stretch assignments lead to something where you can actually stand on your own two feet in a new job or a new career lane. Um, this is what commitment looks like. And you need to understand what that commitment level is and decide whether you're about it or you're going to just keep treating this as a hobby. So you have to decide. And, and he was just, uh, meeting him was at a serendipitous time when I was entertaining the idea of going back to grad school for design, especially when perhaps an environment like Nike wasn't necessarily affording me that next easy job based on the early trail of footwear I'd, I'd achieved. They were, they were giving me that handing it over. It wasn't an easy conversation, but Kevin showed me like, okay, this is the commitment that's necessary that actually will transcend you above and beyond like what Nike perceives of you and what you're capable of. You're going to be capable of all things, amazing things. If you do this for yourself. And honestly, it took me a while to understand that. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize my career was mine until meeting folks like Dwayne and Kevin who showed me what was really possible for my life. And I started to believe it. And then, you know, it's like, I, again, I, I appreciate Nike, but I, my career doesn't belong to Nike. Yes. My <laughs> career belongs to me. Mm -hmm. That's good. Because usually we're not conditioned or we're not taught that or shown that. I can just think about coming from parents of generations who like stayed at a company for 25, 30 years. Like they were so tied to the company. Mine too. Yeah. And again, yeah, different generation, but so much of who they were, are, and what they did were tied to only mm -hmm. in the, the confines of the company. People can't see your capabilities that expand outside that go further. Yep. I, I, I was almost led to believe in many respects. And I'm careful not to judge the people that said some of these things. I don't know where their motivations came from. Right. But um, many encounters where people made me feel less or that I wasn't good enough because I, I couldn't necessarily fit into their rubric of how I slotted into the company. And I, I was a polymath. Uh, you know, I had hybridity by curiosity, by work experience. I didn't fit neatly. So I had many folks treat me like something was wrong with me. I'm sure there's many stories like that, especially within the black community. Any thoughts on design in all the things, web 3.0, NFT, oh. metaverse, what's going to be the role of designer? What should design be thinking about in these spaces? Uh, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of noise right now and it, it might, might, you know, I, I won't judge metaverse web 3.0, but 
and I'm, and I'm actually trying to learn myself with full humility. Uh, I'm involved with some experiments and, you know, collaborating on the making of NFTs. Um, I'm, I'm my business is evolved with a, a crypto startup. I did the industrial design of a cold wallet in that space of saving cryptocurrencies. Now that, that wallet's also capable of saving NFTs. So some early forays, but I just hope that folks don't become jaded and allow certain influences to dictate like what the metaverse should be. Like we're dealing with this, um, we're, we're dealing with distributed ledger technology, call it blockchain underneath the applications and examples that we see, but there's not supposed to be middleman, like leading the show or, or influencing the course, like as designers or as creatives in general, regardless of what discipline you come from, we could all shape the metaverse to hopefully a more sustainable place, a more impactful place, community driven human place ethical place. Uh, that's, that's my hope for the metaverse. Keyword ethical. <laughs> this has been magnificent. I'm so, so grateful again for you for taking the time. All the best to you, your business, dreams, design, life, all success to you and, and your book. Thank you so much. It's been an honor being on your show. You've been amazing. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate what you're trying to do to uplift new voices. And I can't wait for your book one day. As always, Royal Court, be well, stay blessed, peace. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Tech Rap Queen, follow me on all the social media platforms at Tech Rap Queen and also at techrapqueen.com. <laughs>